What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 23rd, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Noji, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Hope you enjoyed last week's double parter. Gave you a little bit of the fan perspective as well as uh, mine post Billy Epler and Buck Showalter's uh, end-of-the-year press conference. And today, this show is the Big Idea Show. Yeah, I was thinking about it, and and I'll get to. I'm sure that for some of you, today is a weird day because, you know, if you're really invested in the postseason, you see the Yankees down 3-0, so that makes you feel better that you don't have to see a celebration across town. But then you go 90 miles south on the turnpike, and a team that, let's face it, Mets fans still don't have any love for because of 07, 08, 09, 10, 11, what I call the golden age of Philadelphia baseball, a team that's been dormant for more than a decade, a team that didn't do things the right way and really looked completely discombobulated around Memorial Day when the Mets swept them out of City Field and Joe Girardi got fired, uh, is a game away from the World Series. And you got a former Mets connection there with Wheeler and Syndergaard and, uh, and have you. So I know that maybe you're not feeling so great about that, but uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's just say we're starting off. This is the big idea show. And what do I mean by that? Well, last year, uh, last year, last week during the fan panel, 
some big ideas were brought up by the luminaries that were on the panel, whether the name like Otani or Trey Turner. And I thought to myself, well, we have the logical way of approaching the offseason. We have plenty of time to do that. We have the whole offseason to do that as we take and we do this every year, the breadcrumbs that are given to us from the press conferences and the conversations you'll hear with Billy Epler and what have you, the good sourced information from the media, not opinion dressed up as sourced information. There's a lot of that. And more than a large majority of what you're going to get this offseason is that the Mets aren't a leaking team anymore with uh, Epler and even before Epler would uh, Sandy Alderson and whatnot. They're, they've kind of locked it down. They're not leaking. So a lot of times what you get is agents' opinions, other teams, well, this is what I think the Mets are going to do. Well, you don't work for the Mets, so what do you care? And then that you know opinion like you and I could have, the only difference is we're not dressing it up like we have sourced information, which happens a lot. It's not – you could read through it, and it's there. They cover themselves, but you have to be a little bit smart. It's some good uh, – it's called uh, journalism salesmanship, uh, if you ask me. But um, anyway, we have plenty of time to get to that. What we want to do today is take some of the big names and big ideas that can be transformative for the Mets in a big way, bring a big name that maybe you're not even thinking about, and what it, you know is it realistic? What would it take? Is it the right move? And also the real key here is it's going to transform the franchise doing any of these big ideas uh, in ways that may be very uncomfortable. So we're going to get to that because I know that these are names that, especially with Steve Cohen and Steve Cohen's pocketbook, that a lot of fans throw out there. Well, we could get this guy. We could get that guy. Well, in a vacuum, yes. But there is causation to everything. So we'll get to that. But first, uh, going back to the postseason, I'll be straight and be honest, uh, not watching much of it. We'll watch the highlights and what have you, watch condensed and check in on my phone and what have you. But look, once the Mets were eliminated, I said I need a decompression time. Uh, personally, I don't know how you feel, but I'm ready for the offseason. I am over 2022. I'm ready for the postseason to be over. Crown your champion, who I believe will probably be the Houston Astros. And let's move on and let's get to 2023 and let's start the, the process all over again. I will say this, just some random, before I get to the whole Phillies thing, because it does tie into the Mets a little bit. I am actually happy for Dusty Baker and happy for the Houston Astros because nothing, and this has nothing to do with Beltron and how the Mets were sucked into that craziness. I never was in the camp right before the pandemic started where everybody got crazy about sign stealing, a three-year-old story that happened to just get some light because... Let's face it, some members of the media had an axe to grind with the Houston Astros because of the way they were treated. And some of those guys did some, you know, nasty things. So let's let's face it, you know, we don't want to uh, mince words here. But in general, that was going after Lunhow. That whole thing was about, we don't like Lunhow. We don't like this team. A team that was created by the media to being these smarter than... You would think they were going to build uh, rocket ships to go to some faraway galaxy. These are smart people. Oh, they're baseball people that happen to kind of find some market inefficiencies. And I always felt that they were, you know, the guys that were left, how good they were and how, yes, they probably, you know, use some of these tactics that have been used throughout the history of baseball. Just now you had technology backing you, uh, taken away for how good they really are and how what they've built and Give them credit. They were they could have went a totally different way. They could have blown the thing up, the pressure from the media, get these guys out of town, put on a different uniform, 
redo the whole thing. No, they they stayed the course. They brought in a veteran manager, a guy that uh, you know has been successful in other places. Seems to always take teams that either need to become you know bad to good or teams that maybe are underachieving and take them to the next level. Did it in San Francisco. Did it in Chicago. Did it in Cincinnati. Did it in Washington. Now he's doing it in Houston, and he's going to probably, I think he's going to get a ring for it. Well-deserved. Similar to Buck Showalter, Dusty has been criticized throughout his career for not winning the big one. Almost 20 years to the season when he took Russ Ortiz out. What was it, a 3-0, 4-0, 5-0 lead, something like that. They thought they were about to win a championship. The Anaheim Angels came back. I think David Eckstein played a role in that. Uh, Scott Spezio, some of those cardinal names that you'll you'll remember, those thorns of the Mets side from 06. And uh, the Angels wound up, and Mike Sosha wound up getting that title, not the Giants. And and Dusty really hasn't come close uh, since in winning a championship. So good for Dusty. And I think uh, it vindicates the Astros that they're more than just the sign-stealing champions of 2017. And hopefully we can move past that. Now, as far as the Phillies, I know that everybody's sitting here. And I know what a lot of you Mets fans are thinking. Well, geez, look at the Phillies. They... It's exactly what my point about longer series is necessary. I have no problem with watering down the regular season. You have to compete with the attention of all the other things that are going on. Let's face it. You go back to the old days, let's say nationally west, nationally east. Let's just go back to the 80s. Mets and Braves, depending – well, if you go back to the 80s, the Braves are playing in the in the, the west. The Mets are playing in the east. The Mets – win the division comfortably over the Cardinals. The Braves are basically 10 games back of the Dodgers. There's no pennant race. So you really don't have any pennant races. The entire National League under the 1980s rules lose interest probably come 4th of July, maybe sooner. You don't need that. It's okay to have more participants, more entrance into the tournament. We want that. However, look at the Indians. Guardians, I keep getting this wrong. I thought I was over this. If that was a three-game set in the division series, the Guardians would be playing and getting swept probably from the Astros, not the Yankees. But the longer series played out the better team winning. And really, seven games is the ultimate better series. And let's see, because I think the Padres still have some life left. they got to get one of those games in Philadelphia, bring it back to San Diego, and, and then you'll see what happens. So you got to win. you got to win in seven, and that— Remember what Casey Stern said about the Dodgers, that if you played them in a shorter series, and he proved to be very much a, a Nostradamus on this, it's better chance of beating them than if you played out uh, over the course of uh, seven games because the better team always wins in seven games. Now, I know that that's hard, and we talked about it, reducing the season, putting the wild card series to five, you know, maybe doing a round robin. There's a lot of different things. We've had those conversations, not for today. But if you want to be fair to the Philadelphia Phillies, I told you that Theo Epstein was on with John Heyman and Joel Sherman on his pod, on their podcast. And the Phillies, are, it's not all that surprising that they're a tough out. I told you guys, uh, go back to the show. I think it was when they met one, two out of three, the last time they played the Phillies. This is a team that sometimes bothers me more than the Braves. The Braves, to me, were a home run or nothing team. The Phillies had, and, and statistics prove it out, they have two of the best starting pitchers in all of baseball over the last couple of years in Nolan Wheeler, if they're healthy. Uh, They have a power-driven offense that, in the modern game, in theory, is better equipped to beat good pitching than the Mets' contact-driven, fundamentally sound-driven offense because they could wreck a game. Schwaber could wreck a game and wreck a series. Harper could wreck a game and wreck a series. Uh, Maybe they don't have some of the lineup depth that the Mets have, 
but the Mets don't have that power outside of Alonzo that the Phillies have if you go with Hoskins and, and Schwarber and, and Harper and so on and so forth. Um, they've come overcome the shallowness of their starting rotation that way. Remember what Theo Epstein said. You're really looking at your top of the rotation in the playoffs. You figure out, perhaps, or you can figure out your middle to the end of the rotation. I think the Phillies are a little short in that. And their bullpen, although I don't think it's great, there's still a lot of walks in that bullpen. It's gotten hot at the right time. Sir Anthony Dominguez, I've always felt, has been underappreciated by uh, those who watch the Phillies, at least from my outsider point of view, maybe not Philadelphia, think they're much better at the bullpen than they've ever been. And, uh, you know, look at this. You know, you got a team that's a game away from uh, winning a pennant. I don't think they beat the Astros. I'll tell you that. But they got a pennant. And uh, remember, a world this, this just makes the Mets road that much tougher. A World Series appearance by the Phillies with Dombrowski now with John Middleton's money, you know, may not be as rich as Steve Cohen, but he's shown a penchant to want to spend when the time is right. Makes this task that much harder for the Mets. Now, I've said they have the, the NL East from one to four, I believe, is the best division in baseball. You have a Marlins team, and we'll get to them in a little bit because they're part of a big idea that has great pitching. They have more pitching prospects on the way. Yeah, they play in a town that doesn't care about them. Yeah, it's a boring ballpark. They couldn't hit their way out of a paper bag. But if you could improve that offense just a little bit, you got yourself. They lost 41 run games. Take 15 of those, and they're you know not good. They're still a losing team. But the gap between them and the rest of the division is not nearly as big as you think. You know they didn't have Jazz Chisholm for a large chunk of the of the season either, who's one of their best hitters. So remember that none of their veteran signings worked out. You know sometimes that could be random as well. You got the Phillies potentially coming off a World Series uh, appearance. You got the Braves with all this young core, world's champion from two years ago. And you got the Mets who have this big spending owner, have a manager trying to do what Dusty Baker uh, is, is close to accomplishing, winning a title and, and potentially cementing a Hall of Fame managerial career. You have some young stars. You have a lot of veterans looking for that last ring. You have you have a, the makings of a really good rivalry amongst those three. Now, you're not going to have the 19 games that you had in prior years now with the more balanced schedule. Does that put more emphasis on the games they play each other? Maybe it'll it'll do the opposite. Instead of you, and let's face it, the Mets were overloaded with Phillies games earlier in the year when Girardi was the manager and the Phillies were a different team. You'll get to see them at different points. They've done this before in the late 90s. I mean, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't kill the rivalry, you know, the Mets and Braves were rivals in the late 90s when there's a more balanced schedule. I think they only played, what, 12 times, you know, 11 times, whatever. Put more emphasis on those games, and, you know, that could play the opposite effect. But I will tell you one thing the Phillies have that the Mets don't, and it has nothing to do with owner and money. Their crowds in the playoffs are really good. Now, I know what you're going to say. They're giving them something to, to, to you know, cheer about. You know, they get down 4 nothing yesterday. If that's City Field, guys, uh, you sit on your hands and you novena meet at death. You got to change your outlook. You got to change your outlook on this team. You know, I talked to a fan this week who literally, for the large part of the second half, couldn't watch games, watch them on his app because he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the disappointment. I'm sorry, that's that's a problem. And I don't think that that's a large majority of fans, but it's a good chunk of the fan base that just is approaching this team and the energy they bring to the ballpark is bad. Now, you may laugh at me and say, well, the Mets could overcome that. I- I'm not denying that. But it is another home field advantage, which is not the NBA, which is not like the even the NHL. I don't know how much home field or home ice. Maybe in Montreal. There are places where it matters. It's not the same. Let's face it. 
But if it wasn't, it's not just, if there wasn't anything to energy and to the anecdotal, non-statistical nature of home field, then it wouldn't play out statistically the way it does. Why would you play a game that's the same in ballpark A versus ballpark B and be more successful in ballpark A if energy and things that don't matter don't play into it? It does. And the Philly fan energy is good. And the Mets fan energy largely is bad. And I'm just telling you guys, if you're going to approach again over and over, and if we're going to play the, we talked about it on the panel last week, where, oh, you know, the team lost its trust with the fan base. The media is going to play that up. And you decide, I'll, you know, I'll show up after 4th of July after they show me that they're worthy. And, you know, you've got, you're playing a crickets midweek, May, June against, you know, whatever mid-division, you know, the Pirates. You really can't complain when you don't get the outcome that you want. That's all I'm going to say. So I'm not going to harp on this. I want something for you just to think about. But all right, we're going to take a quick break. We have really, and let me see, how many big ideas do I have? I have one, two, three. I got four big ideas for you guys. Four big ideas. You'll hear the clip coming in, so it'll give a little tease of who I'm going to talk about. And the real point of this show is going to be big idea player. What's the impact to the Mets? Can it bring them to the next level? And how realistic it is. And I think most of these, I, I think you have a feeling that I'm not sure that these are achievable, but it's good mental bubblegum to get us through another offseason week when Mets are home. There is still some postseason baseball. I know that you're probably bummed out about some of it. And uh, you know what? Start to think rosier days ahead in 2023. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big-time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. You know, you heard the clip of Aaron Judge and his uh, record home run, and I know it's not funny because, look, somebody could have really got hurt, but the funniest part of that clip is this. It's like a Muppet almost falling. The guy that wasn't even close to the home run falling over trying to catch it. I, I understand what is it worth, a couple million bucks. That is obviously life-changing money, and people sometimes will do crazy things to win that proverbial lottery, but... Are you really going to enjoy it if you're paralyzed for the rest of your life or dead? I mean, really. And I, I just, I don't get people, but I'm not going to, you know, there's a lot of things in this world I don't get, especially in the last couple of years. So anyway, uh, you heard the clip. You guys know the name. He's across town. He's been a member of the Yankees since 2016. Uh, arguably the best player, the best offensive player in baseball. I don't think the best player in baseball. That's an argument for another day. But Aaron Judge is a free agent. So all the time, and and to me, this is the prototypical, and this will, depending on how long his free agency drags out, and I think it'll at least drag out to the winter meetings, depending on uh, on how this goes. Although he, he may block up or negotiations, depending if the Dodgers get involved and the Giants or whomever, I think those negotiations, because the amount of money that this guy will compromise a payroll that he, that he uh, takes up, it may clog up other free agents. I mean, I know this happens in the NBA all the time, and sometimes with musical chairs, and it's gotten a little different. You know, players like, hey, I, I want to play here. I want to get a fair contract. I want to know where I'm playing. The days of dragging out till Valentine's Day, I'm not sure that a lot of players want to do that, but we'll see. I mean, baseball's getting a little bit back to normal. We also don't know with the coming recession and how it impacts some of these owners and how they look at their revenues uh, how that's going to play into contracts this offseason. It'll be a very interesting offseason. To think the world economy and some of the projections of the world economy are not going to impact baseball because, they, because they're in this some revenue bubble. Uh, I've been saying for a while, I really think, uh, and, and clearly you know, cable hasn't been impacted yet, but that bubble could burst one day soon. I think it'll at least impact the in-ballpark revenue with the expense of if, you know how much it'll cost to go to a ball game, what you have to do as a team to entice fans to come to the ball game at what price. So another story for another day, but it's something to think about. So Aaron Judge is the poster child of winning the offseason for the Mets. It's the media playbook. It's playing into everything that doesn't matter. Mets fans like it because it harms the Yankees. They could have bragging rights at work or school or whatever. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Outside, uh, look, it makes sense. You'd get, and I'll go back. If I compare Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil to like the baseball version of Thundering, Thunder and Lightning. Now, Giants fans listening, remember Ron Dane and Tiki Barber. Remember when they split before Tiki became this elite primary running back? I'm going back, what, 20 years? 
Ron Dane, who was a bust, it was a disappointment. Actually, I think he was supposed to be better than Tiki Barber, if I remember correctly. They were thunder and lightning. They had this like yin and yang going as running backs. Back in the day when there wasn't really shared running back duties like now, it was more you had your primary back and your backup and whatever. But Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil are kind of like the baseball version of Thunder and Lightning. You know, one guy is basically uh, Willie Stargell. The other guy is Pete Rose. Maybe I'm overrating both, but you get the point. You bring in Aaron Judge with Pete Alonso in the lineup, you got Thunder and Thunder. And then you got a little bit of lightning there with McNeil and Starling Marte and what have you. I mean, you have some serious power. I mean, think about any pitcher, even the best of the game, navigating those guys. Depending on how you do the lineup, you're not going to be able to batter, pitch around them. You know, you probably would put Alonzo behind Judge, and what will that do to Judge? I mean, they'll still probably pitch around him, but you better be careful depending on the situation. You might have to go after him a little bit more. Now, you guys know the news. You're here in the in the market. He turned down a... A $30 million a year AAV, seven years, $213 million. At 30 years old, and yes, he does have an injury history. I know he's been healthy the last couple of years. And I'm not saying that he's you know going to break down. I have no idea. But here's a guy, if you go and you look at some of the injuries he's pl- had to go through, a lot of obliques, shoulder injury, lower body soreness, lung, rib. Uh, this is a guy, this contract very similarly to Albert Pujols when he left the Cardinals, who is probably the best hitter in the game. He's going to look for 10 years. He's probably going to look for $400-plus million. I got to think he's going to want to get more than Scherzer AAV-wise. It, you know, Harper got 10, you know, younger player got 10, 10 million. This is a guy who can play good defense. You got to get him out of center field. I think center field, just like Cespedes, I felt center field contributed to his body breaking down and his legs. I believe if you don't get this guy into a corner and give him some DH time, he is going to break down. He's a big guy. Big guys tend to break down uh, a lot quicker. I don't have any scientific or health data on that, just a gut feel. I could see this guy very quickly, within three, four years of this contract, becoming still a very good hitter, but a broken down DH that's going to have to play 110 to 115 games. And you cannot dedicate, even with the wealthiest owner in this sport, you cannot dedicate... 40 plus million dollars a year to that kind of player. You just can't. And I'll also tell you, there's causation here. You're probably going to lose Pete Alonso because that's the profile in some ways that Pete, as he gets, depending on how his body develops. Now, Pete's worked really hard at being a good defensive player, but he's also soft around the belly type of guy, at least from an outside observer. You could see a world where if Pete Alonso signs a big seven year deal. As he gets into his mid-30s, he's not going to be able to play the field the same level. Now, he's a first baseman, not an outfielder, a little bit different there. But still, you're going to clog up. You're basically saying goodbye to Pete. And I don't see why your homegrown guy investing in another team's homegrown guy. Oh, oh. Pete's a pretty good player. Maybe he didn't hit 60 home runs this year, and he didn't have an OPS plus over 200, which is in the Pantheon with Mays and Mantle. Uh, I You know... I didn't even put Bonds in there because I know how people feel about Bonds. Uh, you know, he's, he's right up there with some of the big seasons that both Frank Thomas and Jeff Bagwell had in the 90s. One guy who was always under a, a steroid cloud in Bagwell. I mean, these are elite offensive seasons. But they're not, they're not seasonal. Maybe they're a little bit more standing out because we're in post-steroid era. We're in a, a, maybe a dead ball era to a certain degree compared to 2019 and what we saw for a couple of years when the home runs went down in the middle of the decade, the prior decade. 
So I'm not saying he's not good. What I'm saying is, is it going to get better than what you saw this year? Is he going to be Bonds for the next five years? I don't know about that. I think he's going to, you know, he's got a 160 OPS plus. I think he's very good. He's a good outfielder. Seems to be a good guy. Certainly marketable. Knows New York. Has performed in New York. All the other things. From the West Coast, that always plays into it. And I go back, you know, when you're wealthy like the judge is going to be, cost of living doesn't go into play as much. Where would you rather be? Paradise, where the weather is great? Or in New York, where you're coming into a Yankee team, if they get swept and judge did not perform this series. Again, it, it's sample size, too, everybody. And everybody gets, oh, Judge didn't step up. Well, the Astros have Verlander and some pretty good arms. You know, you're not, you're not playing uh, the Nationals in the middle of uh, July. Good hitters do get shut down in series. For many, many years, Bonds never produced in the, in the postseason. He got criticized. Well, he faced the Cincinnati Reds pitchers. He faced the Braves pitchers. You know, Mets pitched him pretty well at one series. He's a, you know... Marlins one year, I think. These are good. These are good pitching teams that won championships, and he's probably going to lose and get shut down by a team that's going to win a championship. So, are you ready to lose? And you probably lose Degrom too. I think everything that we talk about as we get into the big ideas probably means sacrificing Degrom. Probably means sacrificing Nemo here. I'll put Diaz in another category. Um, more reliance on your young hitters in this situation. You're probably going to lose a, a Pete Alonzo. And how are you going to build your rotation? By bringing in Judge, you're shifting your priorities to a more offensive model, less reliance on starting pitching, more reliance on building up a bullpen, which is random. So I think there's more randomness. You're actually going more in the direction that the Phillies have gone. And mind you, you're going to see... Members of the media say, look at the Phillies. You don't need all these starting pitchers. You don't, who cares? You know, you could just get in with 89 wins and make the World Series. Well, calm down. Doesn't happen every year. I like going back to Billy Epler. They're going to keep going with the probabilistic outcome of this is my best shot at winning. I'm not going to copycat something that happened. To, you know, I'm not going to copycat a team that got hot for three weeks in October. Although that could happen every year. Odds are you stay with good principles. It won't. So, I don't think Aaron Judge is a realistic idea. I think this is a media fodder idea. I think this is a Mets-Yankees idea. I don't even think the Mets get involved in this. Although I'm sure if I'm Judge's uh, financial team, I would definitely want them involved in this. I think the real story is, do the Yankees want to pay the freight? And if not, does he really want to go to the West Coast? And I think it's a West Coast-Yankee battle and I'm not sure where this one goes because I think it all depends on do the Giants get involved, do the Dodgers get involved. I know Anaheim's up for sale and they got their issues with Otani. There's a name to watch in a bit. Uh, so I don't think the Mets get involved and nor do I think they can build a good team around a guy that's going to get north of $40 million. And he and Lindor are going to be over 20% of the payroll, assuming – this payroll goes up $350 million. And by the way, I'll just say in this, Steve Cohen never said that he wouldn't go above $300 million. He just said, this, that's a lot of misreporting. He said, I heard that interview, that you should be able to win with a $300 million payroll. Now, I'll argue with Steve, you're going to have some holes in your team. You can win, but you're, you know, you got some holes in your team because you got some guys who got expensive real quick here. And it really depends on how expensive the market gets in this really uncertain economic times. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, another big idea. This one is a name 
that we have talked about, we talked about on the panel. And out of all the big ideas that we're going to throw today, probably the one everyone thinks is the most realistic because of his connection to Billy Epler. That and more right after this. We know it's now at least one more year with Phil Nevin, also at least one more year contractually anyway for Shohei Otani. There will be a ton of off-season discussion about if that changes before uh, next season, Tom. But as of right now, he's wearing the uniform of the Halos, and he is baseball's unicorn. Yeah, well, first of all, as far as that goes, it's going to take about six to nine months to sell the team. I don't see how they trade one of the team's greatest assets while the team is up for sale. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be left to the next owner, so it could be a July trade next year. That's the way I see it. In the meantime, you're right. This is a unicorn because he's an unbelievable two-way player, but also... I just want to talk about him as a pitcher because I have never seen a pitcher who can beat a team in so many different ways. I mean, you talk about having weapons. Of course, we think about Otani, and the first thing you might think about is a split. I'm going to show you him winning games in five different ways this year. These are all games that he won. This is with his split. Uh, Season-high 24% splits made the Astros look really bad. 12 punch-outs in this game. That split is almost always right on the plate. Great downward move on. Okay, how about the four-seam fastball? He beat the Red Sox in this start with 47 four-seamers. No walks, 11 punch-outs. You might be able to hear him grunting here, by the way. (laughs) Hear that? He can dial it up there. He just ate up Trevor Story this game. All right, how about the sinker? Wait a second. He had never thrown a sinker before that pitch leading off the game to Jose Altuve. That's right. He broke out a new pitch in September. Are you kidding me? And guess what? It's 195 to 100 with incredible run on it in this game. Five innings, one earned run. Even a little backdoor comebacker there. That's not something you usually do first time out. And how about the cutter here? Especially the left-handed hitters. Just eats them up on their hands. Look at the late tight movement on this at 90 miles an hour. Season high, 22 cutters in this game. Why? The Twins have a lot of left-handed hitters who's in play. How about the slider? This is one of the most devastating pitches in baseball when you look at the break on this slider. Throwing this against Oakland here. He threw 108 pitches in this game. 62 were sliders. He threw four four-seamers the whole game. A guy who throws 100 beat a team basically with the slider. Shohei Otani has pitches, multiple pitches that rank among the very best in the game. I want to show you the numbers here. Horizontal movement on the slider best in baseball opponent average on the splitter second best this is among starting pitchers average velo on the sinker I said 97 but second baseball perceived velocity because he's got such extension that four seamer at 97 actually looks 98 to the hitter third best in baseball same on that cutter where that cutter is playing up 90 becomes 91 and a half I've never seen a pitcher like this the best I can come up with is Pedro Martinez in in his day (laughs) Four-seam fastball, breaking ball, change-up. Three ways to put you away. This guy's got five ways to put away hitters, and they're not show pitches, Nelly. These are legit put-away pitches. This guy is the unicorn on the mound. It's not just ability, Rec. It's also production at this level. I mean, last year he was the unanimous MVP. This year he's been even better, and yet probably won't. To do it at this level... It's something that our, our brains can't compute. All the metrics in the world that Brian Kenny knows that I don't, they're not built for him. 
No, not for someone to be able to do it to the level he does on both sides. Mm -hmm. And I can't help looking at some of those numbers you just put up right there. I can't help but think, A, as a catcher, how fun it would be to catch someone <laughs> who, can, who has all those weapons and I could just play with hitters and go about lineups and specific individual matchups and really use his strengths versus their weaknesses because he has so many strengths. And then I think, well, what if I was a hitter because I had to do that too? I don't want to face him. Are you kidding me? Just the way he can attack you. I used to love to try to get guys down to maybe two pitches, and you're looking at five elite pitches thinking, how am I going to – what am I going to think about when I'm up here at the plate? I have no idea what I'm going to try to attack. That's what's so beautiful about him as a pitcher. And then as a hitter, I mean – this guy goes out there, puts up 30, 30 doubles, 34 home runs. He's got slugging percent. Everything he does is so elite. The fact that he can do it on both sides, it's mind-boggling because the level of effort, practice it takes to get to do that on one side in baseball, to get to this level and do that, is tremendous. He can do it on both sides as a pitcher and a hitter. But I thought that clip from MLB Network with uh, Anthony Recker and company was good to hear about Otani because I think Otani's a name that is extremely fascinating. And he's going to be connected to the Mets until he's not because of the fact that Billy Epler signed them. That a guy with the cultural melting pot of New York, with the, you know, obviously. You know, the Japanese community on the West Coast is bigger than the East Coast, I think. You got more of a, uh, of a Chinese community here uh, from at least what I see than a Japanese community. But look, this is an international name. I think he transcends just his uh, ethnicity. And look, in the past, guys like Hideki Matsui, uh, Hideki Arabu, when, before he became the fussy, the pussy toad that George called him, um, you know, Japanese players that have come here have become, you know, really iconic. And I think the Yankees had a lot to do with that. It will be interesting how Judge and how that plays out could connect how the Yankees, who wanted Otani, imagine if Otani was on this team with Judge the last few years on a much more cost-controlled contract, whether or not they get involved in Otani. Otani is very complicated, and I'll tell you why. You heard all the numbers, and truthfully— as a pitcher, he's top five in the game. And you you heard what they talked about, how he can go out and mix his repertoire up where he could be a completely different pitcher from one situation to another. That is a beautiful thing. When you look at it, just from the stats, and this is a guy that had some injuries the first couple of years of his career, then you got the pandemic season. I think that's when he was recovering from Tommy John surgery where he didn't pitch. But... The metrics are kinder to hurt him as a pitcher than as a DH because the value as a DH gets diminished. I can't see a scenario. My big question with Otani, before you know, you guys know how great he is. You guys know the marketing opportunities. You guys understand that you're getting Pete Alonso as a hitter and close to Jacob DeGrom as a pitcher here in one. The, the cost of that, I mean, it's got to be a $60 million a year ball player, maybe 65. I mean, when you look at these guys and you split them in two, they're 30-plus million-dollar-a-year players with just half his game. And, yeah, there's the comparisons to Babe Ruth, but the fact that he could do it today in the modern game makes you wonder why more can't. Like, have we been specializing, even before specialization became a thing, have we been specializing in pitchers uh, could have done more? Now, it's such a hard craft. You're asking a lot for someone to be elite on both ends, but 
the real question I have before you even get into everything is how realistic when you sign a guy for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, it's an older player. Remember that he came from Japan. Can he do both for 10 years at a high level? Can you expect him to play every day, even as a DH and be an elite pitcher? He's already had surgery. He's already been hurt once. Now, you could say the guy blows out his arm. I still got myself an elite offensive player. The question is, when he's healthy and on his game on both sides, how long can he do both? And that is a fair question. Baseball is a grind. I mean, there's no way you could expect this guy to play the field, the wear and tear of playing the outfield anywhere, especially in city field, and pitch every fifth day, and be the lead offense. I mean, if he does that, then, you know, forget about performance-enhancing drugs. The guy's like from Mars. Like, he's a... He's, there's something special in that DNA. You know, clone this guy, right? So that's my my question. Again, the real thing here is, and I think fans are okay with it, because you saw the poll. I think DeGrom's popularity, because he's been arm's length about how long he wants to be. The Athletic did a poll. I mean, DeGrom's popularity has plummeted with the New York Mets fan. So you're definitely sacrificing DeGrom here. You're definitely sacrificing Nimmo. But... In a way, by bringing this guy in, you're getting the run creation that Nimmo would provide. Maybe not the defense or the top of the order necessarily. And you're getting the pitching. And maybe going forward, he'll be better than DeGrom. You know, there's a lot of questions. You know, is DeGrom now on this? Still very, very, very good, but he's on the downward slope of the arc post-shoulder and elbow issues the last two years. So... That's really, you know, there is no doubt that the guy is a unicorn, to quote Kevin DeGrant. I mean, he's a unicorn, not Christoph Porzingis. He's a unicorn. But here's another thing that I think that we haven't really talked about, and this is very fair to say. Um, can he handle the pressure in New York? Think about a big contract. Let's say he signs here as a free agent. Don't even get to what it's going to cost. Let's say he signs here as a free agent. 60 million, let's say 55 plus million dollars a year. No more DeGrom, possibly losing Pete Alonso in the future. No Nimmo. Um, now he comes in. The funny part is he's never pitched well against the Yankees. Not that, I mean, it's only a couple of starts, but I think both were at the stadium. Never pitched well against the Yankees. There's no indication that he can't pitch against good teams, although his stats against teams above 500 are still very good, but not as dominant. But okay, you know, that's good teams are harder to pitch to. We all know. Imagine the pressure this guy has if he comes in here as a free agent, big contract, or let me throw another thing out at you. What do you think it's going to cost to trade for him if the Angels want to trade him? It's going to cost you Alvarez. It's going to cost you Beatty. It's going to cost you another pitching prospect. May cost you a couple of pieces from your roster it may cost you a McNeil. You know, maybe they're going to want some because they, you know, who knows if the new ownership or if Audrey Moreno, if he's in the process of selling it, wants to have a, a competitive product. Remember, he's in the same market as the Dodgers. You think he wants to do a uh, five-year rebuild, marketing rebuild, but with some with some GM while the Dodgers continue to spend wildly and win, even if they don't win a championship and win? Same deal as the Mets and Yankees when the Mets took the downward spiral in the early 90s. You lose a generation of fans, and it hurts you at the box office, and it hurts you from a business standpoint. This is common sense. 
So are you ready to give up two or three of your top prospects, major league talent, to trade for Otani? Probably not. It kind of goes back to the whole NBA and Carmelo Anthony trade. Why trade for him when you can just wait for him to be a free agent? But the Mets are in a win-now mode, so they're going to go out and go about their business this offseason, which means it's going to be harder to shoehorn him into a contract. Now, Scherzer's deal as an opt-out after next year. So in a way, you might look at Scherzer and say, okay, he's my Scherzer transition. I might have to say Scherzer opts in depending on what kind of season he has. Say, assume he likes it here. Then, you know, he's kind of replacing Scherzer and then some. But the pressure with whether it be prospect capital, which I think is highly unlikely, and and you're going to have to give up probably both Beatty and Alvarez for this guy. And probably another prospect. And I mean, that's a lot. I mean, this is arguably a once in a lifetime. We will probably never see a guy like this ever again in at least our lifetimes. Unless this is now the beginning of a trend. Could he be a trendsetter where there are other really good athletes that are going to say, hey, I'm going to do some component of both. Now, can they do it at the level he's going to do it? I mean, come on. You're asking an awful lot. I mean, if you told me he was a really good pitcher, middle of the rotation pitcher, and gave you, let's say, 105 to 110 OPS, you know, 10% above league average, a solid hitter. Like, think Mark Canna. He did that. If he was a combination of Ty Walker and Mark Canna, that is crazy good. Forget about this. This is like pseudo DeGrom, Pete Alonso, maybe better. But, you know, it's going to be hard to bring him here. Now, you could find a way with money to make it work, but it goes back to the dilemma. You know, and I keep going back to the Lindor contract. Lindor showed he has great value, you know, at a premium position, which will probably become more premium as we move into the new way of playing baseball, a way that's going to maybe bring the 80s back with stolen bases, with contact, uh, with defense being at a premium, with no more shifts. But... You know, can you really shoehorn a guy like this? Now, he fills two positions, but for how long? Now, you would think for at least three to four to five years, but a guy like this is going to want a 10-year deal. Look, Bryce Harper's not going to get a 10-year deal, and Lindor's not going to get a 10-year deal, and this guy isn't. I mean, that it's not going to happen. Like, the bar has been set, economy or no economy. The economy's not going to be great for everybody, but for Otani, it'll be there, because if the Mets don't do it, somebody else will. So you know how good he is. You heard the, the, the comments from the MLB Network staff about how he's evolving, especially as a pitcher. A lot different playing here than playing in sleepy Southern California, especially in Anaheim, not even L.A., Anaheim. Think about that. So I know that's the apple of everybody's eye, but I'll tell you what. It, there, it does come with a great number of questions. Would I do it? If it was only money, sure. I would not do judge. If it was only money, sure. I would not rip up my... This will be a theme throughout the offseason. The Mets, if they're going to field a competitive club and not just win the offseason, win the back pages, and win uh, some of the hot stove or a day or two, and not, you know, because you could become a really overpriced, bad, uh, shallow roster. Think of how the Mets roster got very shallow, very quick, in 07, 08, 09, you know, when the Mets invested heavily in the top 8 to 10 players. Now, Steve Cohen, had, that was a different situation because of money and cash flow. 
But at some point, if as the salaries escalate, it's going to be hard to have multiple stars on your team, similar to the NBA. Similar to how the NFL, you have to let guys leave. You have to make choices because they just price them. Their market value exceeds what you can pay them within the scope of your team, not because you don't have the cash flow like the Wilpons. And that's why when you make a, you know, a decision on a judge or an Otani or some of the other two guys I'm going to bring up, one who has not been talked about, which is very interesting. That's the next guy I'm going to talk about. But you have to, you know, you have to think about it. So, so Otani doesn't is is not this no brainer that you think. He comes with significant questions, like everything in life, like everything in baseball. But compare him to Aaron Judge. Much, first of all, I have a better probabilistic outcome. There's Billy Epler again of him giving me something on one side of the ball, and that's makes it more palatable to go to a long-term deal versus Judge, who could be quite one-dimensional later in the deal. But will he be the elite player that you see now for the whole contract? Uh, I guess that's a big question. I don't see how a guy on both sides of the ball could sustain this as he gets into his early to mid-30s. It's going to be a, a decline on something, probably more on the pitching side than the hitting side, especially if you're a DH. But And, he does, and the other great part is lefty. You know, he's, you know, If you could keep Alonzo with him, what a good lefty-righty tandem. Really interesting. All right, let's take a quick break. There is one interesting big idea that I have. This one is going to be painful, but it might be the most realistic one out of all of them because the salary fits so perfectly to what the Mets need, especially right now as some of their stars become very expensive and those that we don't usually talk about, Alonzo McNeil as well. So let's take a quick break. Next big idea right after this. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. O2 to Yelich. He went around 200 strikeouts for Sandy Alcantara. Back-to-back seasons. And the first Marlin ever with two 200 strikeout seasons. Now 201 for Alcantara. Back-to-back strikeouts to start the night. And on a night like tonight when he's got a bunch of things going, you may not have a prayer. That one at 99. And he struck him out. High-level switch. There you go. Thanks for coming. Sandy Alcantara, that's Cy Young Award-winning stuff. He strikes out Wong. That's his fifth K and one away in the seventh. Sandy's 1-2. Blows him away 100 miles an hour. Back-to-back strikeouts for Alcantara. This at-bat right here, he went slider, slider. 1-1 count, went 99 in, sinker. And then off that goes four seam 100. He swung and missed. Another strikeout of Yelich. Second time he's gotten them tonight. Seven Ks for Sandy. All right, so Sandy Alcantara. And I don't know if this is realistic, but I think there's some synergy here 
outside of the fact that both of these teams are in the National League East. So similar to Ronald Acuna and Austin Riley and Michael Harris, a trend that uh, I wonder if it'll continue. And maybe some of that was their agents looking at the landscape, looking at the economy over the next couple of years, looking at how arbitration and, and how you could get hurt. The fact that this guy signed a contract at the value that he did, uh, $11 million a year. I mean, think about it. He's average. He's at five years, like $58 million deal, something in that ballpark. His $11 million AAV fail contra is probably going to be way less than Chris Bassett. Going to probably be less than what Taiwan Walker is going to fetch as like a number three-ish, number four-ish on the market. And it's going to be right there with Carlos Carrasco, who's basically a number five, like Bartolo Colon, cagey veteran. This is a guy that right now might be the best pitcher in baseball. Gives you innings, gives you top of the rotation, elite performance. There was a little bit of a concern. I know he had some you know games against the Mets and the Braves that uh, you know he was less than stellar. But every pitcher has that. It is his first year of winning baseball, 14-game winner. Um, and clearly, you know, he's got the most innings that he's pitched out there. Let me see what he has. Uh, he's actually pitched the most innings over the last, you know, two or three years. Uh, by, by More than Adam Wainwright, who is this 15-year-plus veteran. Nobody cares about their arms. By over 30 innings. Now, he's playing in front of no one. And, you know... You could say he's he's been better the last two seasons than Cold and Scherzer than Degrom, but he's doing it in front of no one. However, he's 26 years old in his prime, so he's really just starting. The guy who came up when he was 21, 22 years old, he is now in the heart of what his career is going to be. Assuming that his health and all the other things you look at could stay copacetic, he is exactly where you want a young, cost-controlled, good value to the contract, elite performance, right age. Even with the amount of innings he's pitched, you know, I looked at a similar type of, of pitchers from age 23 to 26, the kind of innings they pitched. I mean, he's not even close to being at the top. I mean, guy, you know, he's done 600-plus innings over that time. You know, Felix Hernandez, over 900 innings. Burley, Vasquez, Kershaw, guy that's had injuries. All these guys pitched 30% more, 25 to 30% more than, than Alcantara is. So is he overused? That's a fair debate. Now, a lot of these names on this list... Guys like Lincecum, Felix Hernandez, uh, Vasquez, Flay, uh, you know, perfect. You know, Vasquez is a great example. Javier Vasquez, who pitched really well in Montreal in the middle of nowhere, but got into the big bright lights of Yankee Stadium and he fizzled. Is that who Alcantara is? You know, that's that's a risk that you take. You know, some of the other guys on this list, guys like uh, Kerry Wood, Carlos Zambrano, Mark Mulder, got hurt. Ben Sheets got hurt. So, you know, jo- Johnny Cueto, these are all guys that got hurt. So, that, you know, that's just something that, you know, you may want to uh, factor in. You know, this is a guy that the Marlins pushed him, you know, seven, eight innings all the time. Really looked at it big by, oh, my God, look at all the innings he, 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 he pitches. But not even close to what it used to be just a decade ago. Like, think about that. Like, we talk about how he's back to being what it used to be. Well, not really. If you look at the numbers, he's not even close to what it used to be with some of those names. Those guys pitched in the same period 200 more innings. Now, game was different. I mean, it's amazing how just 10, 11, 12 years ago, when I, I mean, I've been doing this thing for 15 years, how the game has changed. And it's done it little by little and before our eyes. And sometimes you don't even realize it. But so what, what, so he's under a contract. The Marlins have him. Why would the Mets be able to get him? Well, here's what you could think about. 
And the, this is a decision the Mets are going to have to make. You know, Alvarez just had ankle surgery. I still don't know how good he's going to be. Is he going to be Kyle Schwarber? I mean, that's a good player. That's a DH, you know, a three-true outcome guy. Certainly value, but it's not like you're giving up uh, Willie Mays here, right? Could you offer them Alvarez or Beatty, a top prospect? Because uh, the top two prospects right now are still pitchers. They're very pitching-rich organization. They've averaged three and a half runs a game. If they could just get to league average in, in run scoring, with the, even the pitching without Alcantara, they probably could be a team that at least with a couple of veteran bats like they did. I know Soler didn't work out and, and, and Avisil Garcia didn't work out. But you could sign some value bats later in the offseason to put it together and say, you know, if all this kind of works offensively with our pitching, I could, you know, I could probably be in the wild card conversation. Then you get into the postseason, and as you can see, you never know. That's how I would approach it if I was uh, the Marlins. Look at how the the Rays take guys and and try to pedal them off two for ones. Hey, I'm at a point where this guy has the max value. I'm going to trade him for, you know, to get to the you know, the next thing. That's how they got a guy like Austin Meadows. What I think is realistic, you'd have to offer them Alvarez or Beatty. You probably would have to go to the next tier of prospects, the Vientos, uh, Ramirez, guys like that, and have them choose from there. Uh, I would think because they have some pitching that's ready, maybe they want Vientos, his bat. Maybe you could offer him them him them some cost controlled offense for the roster, like a Vogel back to beef up their offense. A guy that won't cost them that much that probably could give them the kind of uh, production that a ten million, eleven million dollar year player is. That's a big deal for them. You give them two top prospects from Category A and Category B, plus a, a cost controlled offensive player. Uh, you know, like Vogel back, would that get you Alcantara? It's an expensive deal. Because now, but 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 remember, once you bring Alcantara in, you don't need the Grom anymore. He replaces the Grom, so you have all that money freed up now to go out and play a little bit. And you're gonna have Alcantara till age thirty-one. You have a, a, if he is who we think he is right now, you have yourself an ace out of eleven million dollars a year. Do you know all the savings and what you could do with that money? Isn't that worth Alvarez, who we don't know who he's going to be? Isn't that worth, you know, they say, I want Alvarez and Beatty. Maybe you do that too. You just have to make sure he's healthy. You have to make sure that what you see is sustainable in the market. Because if he turns out to be Carl Pomano or Javier Vasquez, then you got yourself a problem. Look, Starling Marte is already recruiting him. You got a guy on the team that you could call up and say, talk to me about this guy. In Marte. He's already trying to recruit him through Instagram. Now, do I think this is likely to happen? I don't know the relations between Miami and the Mets. And certainly, Miami might say, I ha- I need a cost-controlled ace, and I'll just work around value the rest of the roster and build around him. I would understand that, because you get into a short series, you're facing Alcantara twice. You know, you, Marlins have a, you put this Marlins team... With a couple of bats in a short series, as constantly con- as currently constituted, they're no pushover, especially the three-game series. I mean, look at what you've seen. Think how crazy that is. Pick a team, dump them in the uh, the postseason, like the Marlins, and they could probably be wreaking havoc on anybody. 
I think this is an idea. This is a big idea. This is an out-of-box idea. Nobody's talking about it. This is the first place you heard for, uh, uh, about it. It'll come up at some point. Somebody will listen to it, steal it, go mainstream with it, and then, what a brilliant, uh, smart person in the media. No, it was done. It's not rocket science here. Believe me, nothing here is rocket science. Come on. We're talking baseball. Um, that is interesting. You have to think about it. Are you willing to take that risk? I might be. It's painful because, again, with the way that the Mets budget and how expensive it's getting to keep their top-tier veteran talent, you're going to need Beatty. You're going to need Alvarez. You're maybe going to need Vientos at the DH spot. Ramirez is a young kid that uh, has tons of potential. You, do, you have to spend on the staff. So that's why you need this cost-controlled offense. But if you bring in an ace at $11 million AAV— I know he's getting up to 17 at some point, but still, 17 is not even going to get you Chris Bassett, maybe. This guy's better. It's crazy to think. These young players all giving away money on the table for security, it's crazy. You know, even Austin Riley, I mean, look, it's still a lot of money. I think at a, at a, when you see Okuna, Riley, Har- like, Alcantara left a lot on the table. He didn't bet on himself. Different culture, grew up differently. No, not for us to judge. It's their lives. It's their money. They made the decision. Nobody forced them to sign those contracts. I don't want to. I hate when people say that. Nobody forced them at all. So Alvarez and or Beatty or both. If they get both. They can't get from the other prospect pool. The Ramirez, the Vientos pool. Cost controlled offensive player. You throw maybe like a Vogel back in to help them. Do they do they bite? There's probably be better – if these on the market, there's probably better prospect packages they could get. But I'm also thinking, you know, they're getting the number one – Baseball America has the guy, Alvarez, on its cover. The number one prospect in the game you're getting. What more do you want for your best pitcher? And I'm throwing you potentially Beatty or another high-level prospect in there to help the offense. I'm trading you offense for your pitching. I'm saying you, you need offense. You can't afford offense. And you're going to need to use Alcantara to, you know, what the Rays do, which is – you know, quantity of offense. And it's a high-end offense, potentially. It depends how much they believe in Alvarez. And he's a catcher. So he's at an elite position. And he's cost-controlled. For at least three years, you're getting him for the league minimum. And he came up in September, so he's probably not going to be a free agent for seven years. So you're going to get some kind of cost-controlled. Although if he is who you think he is, arbitration is going to make him very expensive later on in that contract. You're probably going to have to trade him. But Maybe you make the playoffs a couple of times. That's the lot of South Florida. Unless things change from an economic revenue standpoint, South Florida is what it is. It's been like that since 1992. And the only time they went bananas with uh, blockbuster money back in the late 90s was with Hyzinga, and he could only do it for a year, and he's like, I am out. And that awful ball football ballpark. Ugly, awful ballpark. Like he had one of the. I know everyone says it's a great ballpark now. I haven't been there. You know, if anybody has in the audience, send me an email because it looks sterile from me on from the television. And I don't think it's in a great neighborhood. I think it was at Little Havana. So you might want to. I don't know how much of a after game late at night you want to be. I don't know the area enough. But it doesn't do it for me. I've heard even our friend Kevin Kernan say what a great ballpark it is. I don't know. Just doesn't look like it to me on TV. Roof, you know, there's that Art Deco tacky. I know they moved that uh, that statue out front, the home run statue. It just Art Deco South Florida is just not my style. Nothing. No offense to those who are down there. No offense. 
Just not my style. Just not my thing. So anyway, let's take a quick break. What's the final big idea? This one is interesting. It's probably going to mean that you're saying goodbye to Brandon Nimmo. It also comes with a question, why would he come here? But we'll talk about that more right after this. This ball is smashed. Left center field. Way back and gone. A home run, Trey Turner. Home run number 17, and he has extended his hitting streak to 19 straight. Dodgers leading 7-2. Boy, did he mash that one. Trey Turner was brought up. Actually, this was brought up by the panel. And, you know, when we talked about Brandon Nimmo, I think there was a feeling from the panel last week is that you have a chance to get Trey Turner. There's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't take it and say goodbye to Nimmo. Now, I still think you guys all, I mean, Nimmo's going to get a bigger deal than you want. He may get a five to seven year deal up to $150 million a year. He's going to get $25 million a year. He really, and if he doesn't get it from the Mets, he's going to get it from somebody else. He is an elite run creator. He doesn't look sexy. He's uh, a nice guy, maybe a little bit old school vanilla guy, you know, all shucks guy, which doesn't play into the new modern marketing. He works his tail off. This is where, it, and I, I'll get to Turner in a minute. This is where it drives me crazy. Nimmo has worked on hitting left-handed pitching much better. He's worked on it. Chili Davis talked about that on the Boone podcast. He talked about the story. Check out the Chili Davis. I think it's in part one or part two of the Boone podcast. And he talks about Nimmo. Excellent interview. Long. Chili likes to talk. Excellent, excellent interview. And he talks about Nimmo. And and, and Nimmo at his lowest of low against uh, pitch, uh, left-handed pitching and spring training and how he worked on it. And some of the issues with the Mets front office at the time. Really interesting. Um, he's worked himself into being a... I don't want to say gold glove, but a really good center fielder. Really good. I know I didn't get into it today. I know the Mets kind of got screwed on the gold glove. That's for another day. That's not really interested in getting deep into that. And I don't see why, if the game is changing like we think, now I know there's the the, the herniated disc, and that's what I would be a little bit concerned about if I was giving him long-term dollars outside of a four-year deal. And I know he wants to keep himself healthy, and there's the banging up of, of stolen bases. And I think his instincts are, ah, I think that's part of this. Yes, I think there's a health issue there with stolen bases, but I think Nimmo's instincts sometimes come into question. Look, he has to hold up how many uh, outs there are. With his, I don't know if that's a fundamental thing or that's a way to keep him focused. I think there's a certain amount of you know focus that he needs to keep himself on. But he's, he's never, you know, base running-wise, he's actually pretty good, and he's fast. It's just he doesn't steal bases. If he added that to his repertoire, he'd be, he might be better. He might be just as good as Trey Turner. I think he's got 15 to 20 home run power. He doesn't steal bases like Turner, but he's a very underrated. And he's a bigger, his run creation this year was better than Turner. Now, you don't like it because it comes with hit by pitches and walks and things that aren't sexy. You get on base as you get on base as you get on base. And to me, the walks are sustainable. The hit by pitches, eh. I think he's actually at one point got more aggressive at the plate. I don't think he's not the guy that would take would basically look his way uh, into an, uh, getting on base earlier in his career. He's much better. He's much better. And since 2018, outside of the fact that he was hurt and he does have a herniated disc, is something that doesn't get better. Anybody in the audience that has them knows that's the one question and concern that I would have. You know, from my standpoint, but. 
that put that aside. You're still not sold. This show has been selling you Brandon Nimmo for four years, from when you wanted to dump him, you know, call him a fourth outfielder, to dumping him for a bag of balls, to you know, me saying as much as I've been impressed with Starling Marte, there was I didn't want to trade him to the Pirates for Marte, you know, and what have you. I mean, yeah, I got both. Turned out I was right. You have both now, and I think they're a great top of the order when healthy. My first question with Trey Turner: Look, the guy steals bases. Plays good defense, at least at second. There's some questions about shortstop from advanced metrics. Played in a big market in L.A. Uh, Mets have seen him a lot. Uh, you know, definitely with the game changing, with the bigger bases and speed and 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 what have you. Having him at second base, having him at the top of the order with speed and power, more power than Nemo, and could hit uh, and could drive in runs. To me, that's a great top of the order. Um. And he, he does it in a way that's more attractive, that's more marketable, that's sexier. Let's let's call it. Um, the question I have is this. He's going to want a Lindor contract. He's going to want $35 million a year for a decade, 350 plus, let's face it. And why would the Dodgers let him leave? I know they let Corey Sager walk, but I think Turner and Sager are much different propositions. I think Turner's a much better player. And can you have him and Lindor up the middle, basically making $70 million, 20% of your payroll? Now, at that point, you probably are going to have to, you know, you're, you're reallocating an extra $10 million, you're saying, for Turner when Nimmo's going to get you 25 So I could see it from that point of view. I just don't see why he would move to second to come here when there'll be shortstop suitors. Maybe the team across town might pay him depending on what happens with Judge. Maybe not even with Judge resigns. You know, who knows? They've never really gone bananas on the financial side under Hal Steinbrenner. They get swept out of the playoffs. There might be pressure to do something more there. Um, I, I just, I don't see how bringing him in from a Turner standpoint when you have to play second base, and, and, and not that this is an A-Rod Jeter scenario, but to me, it, I don't see why he would do that. And I think if you look at the overall cost of filling out the staff, the pitching staff, $10 million is going to make a difference in the short term, maybe not the long term, but the short term, in order to compete and win. Now, Turner, taking Alcantara, who we have no idea if he's on the market and he's signed, Turner makes more sense to what the Mets are looking to do than Judge, and to a certain degree Otani, because Otani's just going to create so many issues with the cost that he's going to... Uh, command and a lot of questions about what what are you going to get long term? Which is he a pitcher? Is he a hitter? Can he do both? You know what Turner is. He's a uh, a speedster. He's got power. He's a top of the order force. He is a run creator. He's you know look, Nimmo's better, but it's not like it's significantly better. And you know he could play very good defense at second base, and he did it. He compromised when he was traded. He had no choice when he was traded from the Nats to the Dodgers. Played for a championship team, has played in L.A., so he's played in big games. I mean, L.A.'s a big market, so it's not like you know he's been you know playing in, in, in no man's land like a Contra. So you know, to me, it's a great idea, but I, I don't know why he would do it. Would I sacrifice Nimble for him? I really would have to see what's the trade-off. I mean, if you bring in Turner, I don't know if you're going to be able to, you know, and we haven't even talked about Diaz here. I mean, Diaz is going to get a big contract. I mean, I've, put, I've kind of put Diaz in a separate category because I think there's a mutual interest to get him locked up reasonably, and he's, he's, he, he, he's different. 
I think it impacts more DeGrom, obviously Nimmo, and Bassett. And the question is, if you sign Turner at this point and you have these two guys as your uh, uh, cornerstone, what does it do with Alonzo? You know, t- you need that power. Even though Turner fits to what the Mets want to do, you need that power. Are you more apt signing Turner at that price to be able to keep Alonzo, keep McNeil, or is he going to make you take McNeil? You know, Joel Sherman brought this up. Can they, you now take McNeil and trade him maybe for, uh, you know, they mentioned Tampa for some for some pitching, some some cheaper cost-controlled pieces to round up the roster? That's a thought. That's a thought. And it's, I mean, it's a shame because I think part of marketing the Mets and part of the MO of this team is that you've fallen in love with the personalities. Now, you may be disappointed in how it turned out, but, you know, you bring Turner in, you rip McNeil out. You bring Alcantara in, you rip DeGrom. Like, you, you remember, it's also about who these guys are and how they'll fit to New York. I don't see any flags with Turner, but you're changing. You're taking away that McNeil flexibility and versatility and dirt ball approach and saying, you know, and it may make sense. And like from a standpoint, McNeil's a pretty damn good run creator himself. And he may not cost you as much as Turner because the, Turner has those components that McNeil does not with speed and what have you and power. I think McNeil now is rounded into he's not a guy that's going to hit 20 home runs if he wants to be a complete offensive player. So my thing is it's a good avenue to explore. Definitely a good avenue to explore. I just don't see why Turner would come here and do it. Shortstop is a premium position. He could get paid at a premium position. Not the second, but shortstop more so than second base. He probably gets paid more as a shortstop. You might have to pay him a little bit more to come play second base. Maybe he feels playing second is going to be a little bit easier on the body, allow him to be more of elite on the with the legs, and that's a different conversation. There's a lot of questions. What does Turner want long term? Also, where does he want to play? What kind of guy is he? He's been in Washington, been in L.A. Does he want to come into the cauldron here? Like, I don't know. You know, even though L.A. is a big market, it's a different market. So I think it's a good idea. Out of Judge and Otani, I think it's more realistic short term. It's probably more realistic than Alcantara because you could just sign him. It may be the most realistic idea. And out of if you're going to rip up the fabric of the team, I think Turner aligns even better than Otani because you still have financial flexibility long-term at $35 million a year to round out the roster. Otani's going to cost you $50-plus million. He's probably going to get the largest contract all time if he continues this. I could could you could you not see ten years and north of a billion half a billion dollars, six hundred thousand dollars, six hundred million dollars? I can. So I don't think this is on the Mets' radar. It could be depending on and a lot of this again. All these big ideas become more in play if Degrom decides to go to Texas. If you know, they get priced at and like they just look at a Nimmo contract and say, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, those are the two guys that I really look at and say, okay, you know, where are those guys? Those guys leave, one or both. The fabric changes because you have your run creator that you need to replace and you have your top of the rotation elite Hall of Famer that you need to replace. Not easy to replace either one of those. That's where the big idea comes into play instead of going out and saying, let's approach it more balanced, which is more realistic. But... You know, this Mets team won 101 games, was considered a contender for a championship because they had elite Hall of Fame talent as well with the complementary component of the balanced offense. So anyway, 
Trey Turner, another big idea. Not quite sure that it's realistic because there's no position for him at shortstop. He's got to play second. So anyway, we're going to take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We're back with more right after this. Everybody remembers Daniel Murphy's home run barrage in the 2015 postseason. What they may not remember is how Bartolo Colon came out of the bullpen to help get the game to Jerry's Familia. Michael Stahl, author of the book Big Sexy, Bartolo Colon in his own words, and I talk about that on the podcast. Yeah, he does discuss in the book, Bartolo, that is about how uncomfortable he was coming out of the bullpen, but he knew that that was what the team needed, so he was going to do it. And, um, you know, he had a couple of tough luck performances. He gave up a few runs, but, you know, I think in the World Series, I want to say I think he came in with runners on. I mean, this is something that this guy has just, like, literally almost never done in his entire, forget just professional career, probably in his entire, like, life. You know what I mean? Like, when he was starting to pitch in the Dominican Republic at age, you know, 14, you know, I don't think that the way they organize games there, he was, you know, coming in out of a bullpen and, you know, with runners on in like an eighth inning situation or whatever it was, uh, or extra innings, I think, was what happened in the World Series. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, the, the Shea Sutley play, I mean, he should have gotten out of that inning. Um, so he had a little bit of tough luck in the in the playoffs, but overall he pitched, he pitched pretty well for them and in a spot where he was not comfortable. And I think that says a lot about him as a character and as a teammate. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Hope you enjoyed the Big Ideas show. And I don't really know how many of these big ideas will come into play. I can tell you next week we're going to take a more realistic, I think, approach. And we're going to go back to what Billy Epler and Buck Showalter said and, and look at what, how, under what I would like, the plan that I would like, and I know that some on the panel last week didn't like it, keeping this band together, keeping the fabric of this team together that had so much success that has gotten rave reviews about their ability to embrace New York, their their work ethic, how they mesh with the manager, and see if this new challenge that's in front of them, the challenge that is the trust factor with the fan base, the failure and the fizzling out of the postseason. Now that they have some of a a scar on them, this was a team that had no history, no negative history. Uh, The the organization did, but not a lot of the players. They were brand new. Now they have somewhat of a negative history within the Mets lore. Can they use that as fuel to get to the next level, like the late 80s Mets did with some of their failures before 86? Or will they spiral and make it worse and go down in infamy like 07, 08 and, and somewhat, not somewhat, but disappoint and maybe not as, in, as the same way, but in a similarly big way with the fan base. So it's interesting. What I find most ironic on my final thought here on this show is that the Texas Rangers hired Bruce Boche, who in talking to those around the league the last couple of years, I thought Bruce Boche was – Ready? It's interesting. These guys, and obviously a check and money will do it for you, and you get a chance to recharge after being out of the game for three years. And especially, who the hell wanted to be part of the pandemic nonsense and and how you had to manage a team and and all the things that went on with that. So maybe it was best that a guy like Bruce Bochy, even Buck Showalter, a certain degree, that bounced out of this this thing. But the league is going back. Looking at the success that Buck has had, Dusty Baker, uh, the league is going back to these tried and true veteran managers. 
Now, I know we've seen that before. Jack McKeon came out of retirement and led the Marlins to a championship in 2003. So it's not the first time. And look, if you go back to the 80s, Earl Weaver coming out of retirement for the Orioles, Chuck Tanner, I mean, I think even George Bamberger uh, with the Mets back in the early 80s. You bring back these managers that have a resume. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. You know, you saw that with, uh, with Earl Weaver. The Orioles were not the same when Earl came back. But what it tells you, I mean, the difference is in the 80s, you had new age managers that were successful and came through. Tony La Russa, Davey Johnson, Jim Leland. Where are the guys today that could be the next Jim Leland? That could be the next Buck Showalter? That could be the next Bruce Boche? It's amazing. It's almost like because of the way the game has pushed a lot of guys with institutional knowledge from the 80s and 90s to a certain degree. I mean, even if you got guys like Doug Mankiewicz, who is not necessarily an older 80s ball player, retired, what, a decade ago? On Facebook, talking about how the game is really not the same game. It's really amazing that you've alienated this group of players. And to a certain degree, I think there are players that have not embraced some of the new stuff either. I mean, Buck is old school. But Buck is smart enough to know, hey, I got to incorporate some new ideas. I'm sure Boche, when, the, when he had the conversation with the Rangers, said the same thing. But, you know, where's the rest? Like, we, you can't go forward and recycle these guys. I mean, some of these guys are going to be 70 years old soon. How much longer? I mean, again, money. And if you have a mind that's young and you have the desire and your family life is such where this makes sense, then I, I guess you could do it till. You can't physically, from a health standpoint, do it anymore. But it's really concerning to me that there's no way, like other sports, that this league can't get the next generation of Davy Johnsons and Leland's and Boches and Bucks. I mean, Buck was in his early 30s when he took over the Yankees. Mid-30s or something like that. I mean, he was a, a nobody. And he turned himself into what could be a Hall of Fame career. How many of these young managers that have come up are going to do the same? I know anybody, you know, that's the whole, anybody can manage. He's a middle manager. Here's the lineup. It's Stratomatic Baseball. Just make sure everybody behaves themselves down in the dugout. You're learning they don't get that respect. I mean, Girardi's still out there, but now he's got a a, scar, a big scarlet letter post-Philadelphia. You know, he came out of New York and had some questions. Now it's like, you know, Joe's intensity. You know, Joe Madden, I know Joe Madden's been pretty critical of what went down in Anaheim towards the end. I'm sure he'll get another shot. I mean, at this point, there's no young managers that are really filling the gap. So it's it's quite interesting. But anyway, that's something to keep an eye on. The Mets don't have that problem. But the problem the Mets do have is, you know, Buck only has a three-year deal. He's got a couple more years left on his deal. Who is coming up after? I mean, that to me, if I'm Steve Cohen and Billy Epler, that's the biggest thing. I need to use what Buck is giving me and help and I'm sure you know there's a guy that maybe will want to stay on and, and be an advisor and help with a transition if and when he decides, to, depending on how he leaves. It's very possible that you got to start working now on his replacement because you don't want to be stuck in three, four years. Is that bringing Beltron back to the coaching staff and incorporating him in some way? Who knows? So it would be very interesting at this point. And it, the, one of the ultimate old school managers, Dusty Baker, very well might win a championship this year. So it goes to show you. Anyway. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed the Big Ideas show. We'll get more into some 
off-season hot stove next week. Halloween as well. You know, maybe we'll have some fun for Halloween. I don't know. Halloween is Monday. We'll have the show on Sunday. Maybe we'll have some fun for Halloween. Anyway, put that aside. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media. And you can show up on podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silvat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.